Good evening, everybody, or good morning, or good afternoon, depending on when you're listening to this, because podcasts are whenever you want. But it is I, Jonathan Burke, here with... Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And this week on Movie Club, we're going to be discussing uh, Macon Blair's film that is currently available on Netflix, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Um, We'll be getting into our review uh, in a little while, but before we do that, we like to look ahead of what's coming out in theaters on March 10th this week. Um, and there's not a lot. It's pretty crazy, huh, Corey? Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised because I feel like every week there are a lot of trailers to watch. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't worry. The next three weeks after this are all packed. <gasps> um, but for yes. some reason, Kong Skull Island uh, is the only film coming out in wide release on March 10th. I'm not sure why that is because I think it's two weeks later there are four big releases all um, that are supposed to hit wide. And then there are two on the 17th, um, but with the biggest one being Beauty and the Beast. And then um, the end of March, we see Ghost in the Shell and another film that I can't think of what it is, like the very last day of March. So lots of movies this month. It's a big, uh, almost a blockbuster type month because Logan just came out today when we're recording this on the 3rd. Um, I saw it on the 2nd because the unofficial release is on Thursdays. Um, and spoilers, he has claws, everybody. Be careful. Um you don't want to uh, get scratched. But uh, Kong Skull Island is the movie coming out on March 10th. Um, it has some big, big names in this movie. We got Samuel L. Jackson, Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson. Um, I want to say Academy Award winning actress Brie Larson. We haven't really seen her in much since the uh, since Room. Not The Room, just Room. Um, she is in a movie that just keeps getting pushed back with all the guns. I can't ever remember the name of it. Oh my gosh, but I really want to see that movie, and it has Killian Murphy. Yep, they, they just keep pushing it back or, or delaying the uh, wide release schedule. But um, this movie, Kong Skull Island, also has John C. Riley, John Goodman, and then it starts to get into lower and lower name people. No, no offense to any of these people, but these are not the big stars. The ones I just said are your big five. Um, it's uh, the new revamped King Kong movie, which has been confirmed. I don't know if you know this, Corey. This, this movie exists in the same universe as the 2014 Godzilla movie. I, when, okay, we kind of chatted a little bit before, and for some reason I was thinking, I never saw that movie though. Oh, really? It's, I know. It's enjoyable. It's, oh, it's not a must see, um, I wouldn't say, but it's, it, I like Godzilla. In fact, of the two, I've seen dozens of Godzilla films, and I've seen none of the King Kong movies, um, uh, in their entirety. Um, I am a Godzilla fan over King Kong. Uh, no offense to the giant ape. It's just, I think if I'm going to watch an ape, I'll take Caesar on horseback in any of the Planet of the Apes movies. That said, I do want to watch Kong Skull Island. I'm interested also. I actually hadn't seen a lot of trailers for this because of my life. But um, <laughs> this trailer that I watched today was way different than the one i had originally seen like a lot more i guess story in it yeah yeah so i'm definitely interested too if you haven't seen the trailer um it is available on our website burkreviews.com as well as of course anywhere you watch trailers but why go anywhere else um with that in mind uh it is you know you have tom hiddleston and brie larson looking to be the um main protagonist uh you have John Goodman and Sam Jackson playing the enemies of Kong, and then Kong kind of being in the middle of all of this. Um, they go to his island. This is before they they don't know he exists until they get there. John C. Riley plays what appears to be an American soldier who is lost and been living on the island for some time. 
Um, it, it he he's definitely playing a comedic element. Um, there's some funny moments with him in it. Uh, he he calls them skull skull eaters or skull skull crawlers skull crawlers and he's like i've never said that out loud before so you call them whatever you want and things like that um it's you know i I don't know how it's gonna play out but the rumor is that this movie eventually we're going to see kong versus godzilla um in like they and that's not the first time they've already made that movie but in a modern uh better effect version of that movie um they're already working on godzilla 2 uh, the sequel to the American 2014 Godzilla, um, that you know that movie has Brian Cranston and Aaron Ta- Aaron Taylor Johnson, um, and your favorite actress, um, Eliz- <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen. Is that her name? Oh, so you pretty much just told me I don't ever want to see this movie yeah, in my life. To be fair, she's not in it a lot because it's a Godzilla she's such movie. A horrible actress, though. <laughs> horrible, the worst. Um. I, I don't think she's bad in that particular film, although uh, it is weird because she's playing Aaron Taylor Johnson's wife in that movie, and then in Age of Ultron, they play brother and sister. So, um, I mean, it's not anything, but it is like when you're watching those two movies kind of back-to-back, you're like, oh, that's that's a weird thing to happen. Um, but Kong Skull Island, I will be there on the opening night as per usual because there's nothing else to go see that week. Um, so I have no conflicts as I've had in other weeks and upcoming weeks because I'm going to see Beauty and the Beast on the 17th on the opening night with my wife and daughter, which is rare because uh, my wife does not come to many of the opening night movies. Um, but that same night is a movie that I'm really looking forward to, which we'll be talking about next week, which is the Belko Experiment. Um, very excited about this weird uh, as they're 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 marketing it as Battle Royale and meets Office Space, so. I'm a big fan of Office Space, and I enjoyed Battle Royale quite a bit when I watched it last year. So I'm all about the Belko experiment. Have you seen? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But okay, the movie we're here to talk about tonight um, has a lot of. I know Corey and I both had a lot invested in this because we're both really big Macon Blair fans. And so, yes. um, when we found out uh, that he had directed a film that premiered at Sundance, um, I was excited. I, I was like, "Man, I, I can't wait to get to see this." But what normally happens with these independent films at Sundance is we don't see them for a while. Like last year, around February, I heard about Swiss Army Man. And I was so captivated and intrigued by it. And then I found out it was an A24 film, so I was even more sold. And I couldn't wait to see Swiss Army Man. And it wasn't until June, I think, when I finally got to see it. When it finally got a wide enough release where it was close enough to me to get to watch it. So that was my anticipation. When I heard about I don't want to I don't feel at home in this world anymore, quite possibly the longest title of a film that I know. Um I was like, great, I won't get to see this till the summertime. But then something weird happened. Is something that is as equally great as it is weird. P- potentially. And um oh, no. this is worthy okay. of discussion actually. Uh it's on Netflix. Um, which means that right away, a movie that won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance is available for anybody with a Netflix subscription or anybody who's willing to make a new email account and try the seven-day free trial at Netflix and watch it really quick that way. Either way, it's available for the world to see now, right now. You can go to Netflix, look up I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. So if you haven't watched this movie yet, before finishing this podcast, you should pause this, go watch the movie, and come back. There's no excuse this time because odds are either you or your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend were stupid enough not to change their password and you have access to Netflix and it is easy enough for everyone to watch 
I don't feel at home in this world anymore, um, which is interesting. It's great because a, a movie that did so well at Sundance is now available to the masses that quick. But for filmmaker B- making Blair, that I have to imagine he's losing out on some potential income. I can't really speak to knowing much about this, but it makes me wonder if in a way, um, if Netflix is trying to somehow, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, because we just had, <laughs> never mind. Okay, okay. so <laughs> Amazon just had, mm. um, they took on and released, although it is on DVD and Blu-ray, so I'm not sure if it was available for immediate consumption um to watch digitally but they just had manchester by the sea Mm -hmm. and i wonder if some way this is um, netflix trying to be able to compete it's definitely them trying to get into the oscar talk um they're already getting emmy nods every year they've had emmy nominations for their shows since i think house of cards um and and maybe maybe more but um it, it is definitely them wanting to have uh exclusive content um of high quality films but their release strategy is very different amazon still has not released manchester by the sea to stream for free yet on their instant video it will be available and i think they've said may is when you can watch manchester for free if you are a prime instant subscriber um but you can buy it now like you said on blu-ray or digital but amazon did a normal uh independent release strategy they started off in the limited markets which are new york california um, usually, well, I'm sorry, New York, L.A., Chicago, and other major cities. And then they went wide, um, so wide that it did come to my little town of Lake Wales, and um, but very, very late in its run. But nonetheless, it still showed up here. Um, and I don't, it, I don't see Netflix doing that with this movie. I don't feel at home in this world anymore because it's already on Netflix. Why? I mean, I like to see movies in the theater. So I'm, I'm a purist. If it came to the theater, I would still go watch it, even though I've already seen it. But Same. most people aren't going to, especially if it comes down to paying money or not. You know, um, they're paying. I mean, granted, you are paying money for Netflix, but you're paying money to watch unlimited streaming content whenever you want for eight bucks versus eight dollars a ticket or more, depending on where you're seeing it. Um, I, I don't think most people would go to both. Um, Agreed. But I'm also this. I'm wondering if this is going to get a physical release because mm. they haven't done this before. Well, now, they have released a lot of their um, TV shows on DVD, but they're not pushed very hard. That's right. And I think that Target gets, like, exclusive ah, stuff. That could so, be. So, that makes sense. Now, the the other thing, though, is if this, if this was their hope for an Oscar run, Oscar movie nominations very rarely get released in March. Um, or, Feb- I guess, technically, it was February. So, if they were looking for this to be an Oscar chance... Then they've released it too early, I think, too, because I think by the time the Oscar nominations start, this movie's going to be on the back burner for most people. They're not going to be thinking about this movie. Oscar releases, not not a guarantee, any movie that's released after um, the, the cutoff date is eligible. And it did have a theatrical release as it premiered at Sundance, so it does qualify um, to, to be an Oscar-nominated film. And I don't, I don't think this is a film that the Oscars would nominate anyways. Um, not that it's bad, it's just not the type of film that the Oscars usually give re- respect to. Um, you know, it's a very it's a very small film, so in that regard, yes, but the type of film and its its tone, um, it doesn't feel like an Oscar movie at all. And you don't have any big-name ask- actors who are notoriously Oscar bait. 
So, and again, that's not to say they couldn't be. It's just, if you're looking at what the Oscars usually go for, this movie doesn't have many things other than it's independent and well-executed, but... Um, yeah, so I don't if this may not be the movie Netflix is going to do that push with, which might be why they've released it now and not, you know, six months from now. They maybe are aware that this isn't going to be the movie that gets them their nods. Um, this is no Manchester by the Sea, for example, not in terms of quality, in terms of story. Manchester is without a question an Oscar bait type movie. It is a very uh, traumatic, sad story that is um, has Michelle Williams, who is notorious Oscar bait because she's great. Um, Casey Affleck was not, although now he's a winner, so he will be in the future. But and then um, Kenneth Lonigan, who is uh, a well-respected writer and a, an appreciated director, he's only done three films, but his writing is is well known, and he is a playwright on the side too. So like Oscar bait, this movie, Megan Blair, I love, you love, yes, um, but not not Oscar nominated. Um, level. I mean, Green Room, which I loved from last year, which Macon Blair is an actor in, um, directed by Jeremy Selnier, whose name we will be discussing quite a bit today, and I really do hope I'm saying his name correctly, but um, that movie wasn't even in any of the awards nominations, even though I love it. I, you know, I think it falls into that same category. It's not an Oscar type of movie, but it's also a super under underrated film. I don't think enough people have seen Green Room yet, and I'm hoping this episode of the podcast, we can get people to watch Blue Ruin and Green Room. I still need to watch Murder Party, but um, same. But those two, I know for a fact, are excellent. And if you like, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Then it's a definite must go back and watch Blue Ruin and Green Room because I th- I think when you hear us talk about this film, I know I'm going to be referencing those other two. Same. All right, Corey's going for the one word responses tonight, folks. Well. <laughs> Well, I think it's um, kind of so the whole way that I came across um, Sonier as a director is a friend that I don't usually agree with on movies actually Mm -hmm. suggested Blue Ruin to me. And I went in with not high hopes because unfortunately, some of the other movies that they had suggested I did not enjoy and I feel like that's me because I feel like other people probably enjoy these movies a lot. Um, but so I was just pleasantly surprised and totally just making Blair blue, blue, blue ruin out of the water. Oh, um, so um, that was my and I feel like that was probably about two or three years ago um, that I was, you know, introduced to Sonier, Sonier, Sonier. And um, I have appreciated all the movies that I've seen of his, I do own Murder Party, but I haven't watched it yet. Oh, I didn't know you owned it. Yeah, it was only like six bucks yeah. on that company that we plugged before, Amazon. Oh. It's only <laughs> on DVD, and I think you can do like digital, but no Blu-ray. Um, I gotta say, while Amazon is not an official sponsor, they do help the website because you can shop on Amazon from our website. So if you want to support the podcast, um, and you shop at Amazon anyways, particularly for movies, although... Um, there are some other things you can get through our site, but if you go to our site and you click on the shop, our shop is from Amazon. It is not through us. You never give us your credit card information. You can log in with your normal Amazon account, and Amazon uh, ships everything to you. They deal with everything. You pay Amazon. All it does is they give us a, like a, a kickback for helping direct customers to them. Um, so in a way, they're an indirect sponsor. They they don't care about us, but they do help us, and that's good enough for me. So Amazon, we love you. We love you anyway. And if you're an ad, if you're a company, 
and you just heard how well I marketed a company who doesn't sponsor <laughs> us, please know that I could do that for you. So Times like 10, though, because it'll be paid. Yeah, and I'll actually write something and not ad-lib it on the fly. But um, I think that is uh, a really great point for us to do our spoiler warning before we jump into I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Dun, dun, dun. So um, if you guys are interested in seeing this movie before we spoil it, please put us on pause. Come back and, you know, check us out after you see the movie on Netflix because we will be talking about this movie probably in some pretty great detail if you do not like spoilers. You've and been warned. with that, if you do watch I Don't Feel at Home in, the, in This World Anymore because of us at Burke Reviews, um, if you would tweet at Macon Blair, who is on Twitter, um, that you watched his movie because of at Burke Reviews and let him know that we're backing him up or not. We haven't told you if we like this movie or not yet, but we did tell you about it. So either way, not untrue. If you watched it because of this, let him know. I'd love for him to uh, to to see what we're doing to help him out, um, because even if we don't like this movie, which I don't know what Corey's thoughts are yet, I know what mine are, and my review of this film will also be posted tomorrow morning um, on BurkeReviews.com. But um, either way, we like making Blair. We we're a fan of his work from Blue Ruin and Green Room, and we definitely want to support him and any independent filmmaker. Really, whether we like the film or not, we want to encourage people to watch more independent movies. Because a lot of times they're the best movies. Um, they, they're small, in, intimate stories. Sometimes they're more um, idealistic than some of the big blockbuster tentpole movies. A lot of times the amount of work that goes into them is far greater and yet much less funded. And generally I feel more invested in the characters. Yeah, Definitely. Most independent films um, have better characters than your big blockbuster. Not all. An independent film does not equal quality by any means. But... The people that are writing them are usually telling intimate, personal stories about their own lives or something like that, and often have um, some of the best characters that you you can find in film. And that's not to say that there's not great characters in big blockbuster films, but there's definitely a lot more archetypes in a lot of the big blockbuster films as far as characters go. Um, they're just you know paint by numbers in a lot of cases, but they're visually stunning, and we can uh, like them. That's at you, James Cameron. But I was just about to say Avatar, but we didn't really like that movie. So. I don't know, but the world did. It made more money than any other movie ever. Um, still blows Not adjusted mind. for inflation, mind you, but still, uh, it made more money worldwide. It still holds the record for worldwide, and it bothers me. And they're making four more Avatar films, people. Please make this Why? stop. Hashtag end Avatar's reign of terror. Um, oh, no. But... We're going to get into this movie. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. So before we do, I'm going to read the uh, plot synopsis from IMDb. We've already given you a spoiler warning, so if you don't want to hear that even, stop now. When a depressed woman is burglarized, she finds a new sense of purpose by tracking down the thieves alongside her obnoxious neighbor. But they soon find themselves dangerously out of their depth against a pack of degenerate criminals. Um, the movie stars Melanie Linsky, who I recognized when I looked at her picture, but I didn't know what she was from. But I got my wife to watch this movie with me, and immediately, as soon as she sees this woman, Melanie Linsky, she goes, oh, she's in Sweet Home Alabama. And I'm like, all right. Now, my wife is a huge oh. fan of Sweet Home Alabama. She's one of Reese Witherspoon's friends in uh, in Alabama, um, and she's in a couple of scenes. But She's also in Heavenly Creatures ah. with, is it Rose? No, no, no. What's her name? Why am I blanking out? I do not know. I, oh, my gosh. I haven't watched Heavenly Kate Creatures. Ah. I always forget this movie, that movie was directed by Peter Jackson because oh. 
it is such a weird movie and it's based on true events. Um, I'm going to take a moment to talk about it for a yeah, second. For it. Um, it has um, Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky play best friends that have a very odd and close relationship and they end up killing their mothers oh. in real life so that they won't be kept apart. And I forget what country oh. it took place in, but she plays one of the main characters in that movie. So and She plays Aunt Helen in The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is a film that I'm a fan of because I love rites of passage films, and so I generally just like them regardless of their quality. But I do like uh, Perks. And if I'm not mistaken, Aunt Helen is the, um, well, kind of a catalyst of the main story of the main character, whose name I, I don't want to go into if you've never seen Perks. Um, but, uh, yeah, she's in a bunch, she's got a lot of credits, a lot of films I haven't seen, um, that I wanted to, like The Informant, Up in the Air, which is a George Clooney film. I don't know how, how big of a role she has in all these movies, mind you, but she's in them. Um, but she's been around for a while. I haven't seen much. Uh, Shattered Glass is the only Hayden Christensen film that I think is really worth watching. Um, and I watched that for the first time in my, um, last, my senior year of my first degree, my master's, uh, not my master's, my bachelor's degree in mass communications, um, we watched Shattered Glass as it is a story based on a true story of a man who, um, he was a journalist who basically made his career by lying for the New York Times. And Hayden Christensen plays uh, the lead role, um, something Glass, I can't remember his name, um, but uh, I think he wrote for the New York Times. And um, the movie's got Steve Zahn, Chloe Sevigny, Sevigny, I can always butcher her name, Peter Sarsgaard, Rosario Dawson, and then Melanie Linsky. Um, and Hank Gonzara, who's really good in that as well. Um, it's a pretty solid film, and that's one of the only things I've seen her in before. And Sweet Home Alabama, I've seen more times than I would like to admit because my wife loves that movie. And I generally, I have to say, I, I find it amusing. I don't love it, um, but it's it's watchable for sure. Oh, and she's in The Frighteners as a deputy. Um, she's also going to be in, I don't know if you've heard of, I don't know how to pronounce this title, XX. It's um, a movie that I don't know if it's getting wide release, but it's four short horror films that are directed and written mm. by women. And one oh. of them is St. Vincent, um, who is Annie Clark. I'm going nuts today. Sorry. No, no. But she's going to be in that, too, which I, I think is a cool concept because there aren't a lot of films directed and written by women anyways and yeah. definitely not no. horror films. So I definitely. Think that is concept. cool. I didn't know that. Um, I will. I don't do the anthology stuff very often. Um, I don't oh, know I why. Love uh, you've watched most of the ones that I've heard of, to be honest. Um, I, I I don't know if it's um, I don't know. I don't know what keeps me away from them. Maybe it's just uh, availability, or because um, they're not all good. Usually, from my mm -hmm. experience with the anthologies, um, it makes me like hesitate to invest the time to watch them. Um, and a lot of times too, like there will be one with an actor or actress that I love. But then there's always one with a actor or actress who I don't like. And I'm like, ugh, I have to sit through one of them to get to the other one or whatever. And I'm just... So you're Elizabeth Olsen. I, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm Elizabeth I'm very confused. Uh, <laughs> well, it would be like your equivalent of my Elizabeth Olsen. Ah, I didn't know how to word it. Got it. I was like, I why am I her? I don't I don't appreciate <laughs> But um, so we talked about Melanie Linsky. The other lead, her obnoxious neighbor, as it says in the uh, the post, is Elijah Wood. Um, who plays Tony, her obnoxious neighbor, and uh, I loved him in this movie. I did too. I didn't think he was obnoxious at all. Which I do think is a problem. Um, it, it, he refers to himself as uh, people think I'm obnoxious. Um, the the plot description calls him obnoxious. I don't think he's a 
obnoxious character or if he is they don't do a good job of showing us that he's obnoxious he's weird but i don't think he's obnoxious i found it endearing oh. <laughs> yeah agreed yeah well i also technically found it endearing as well um he is uh, a guy who doesn't look very strong but we see him working out and we know he has weapons uh nunchucks throwing stars um i was gonna say ninja stars best weapon ever yeah and uh and rocking a rat tail um, that was uh, epic. I mean, epic rat tail. It was, like, connected to a mohawk, too, which made mm-hmm. it even better. Yeah, he has, like, a not a shaved head mohawk. So I guess it's it's not a faux hawk either. Because it it's, is cut that way. Yeah, it's cut that way. Um, it's just, like, he's let the hair grow back on the sides where they would normally be bald. And then it goes into the rat tail. So, yeah, it's an epic haircut. Um He's got a, a cool dog named um, oh, Kevin. Kevin. Kevin, sorry. I've watched several movies since I watched this movie, so my brain's kind of gone. Um, I almost said Frankie, and that's my dog's name. So, um, I love Frankie. Named after the Punisher, those of you who don't know that. But um, he uh, he's... I don't think I've ever seen Elijah Wood play a character quite like this. The closest thing I would say would be his character on Wilfred. Um, oh, I haven't seen Wilfred, but I really want to. But did you see, let me pull it up here. He was in a movie and I watched it because he was in it. And then I was just uncomfortable the whole time and I did not like the movie. Um, He plays like, he works at a, um, dang it, pretty sure it's him. He um owns like a... Mm, if you would finish a serial... sentence, I can probably put it together. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I'm trying to think of words. All I remember is there are mannequins. Okay. And he's a serial killer. I think that that's Elijah Wood. I don't think I've seen that. Um, I've been meaning to watch uh, Green Street Hooligans, which is listed as one of his top movies. But you know what movie he's in that you haven't seen that you desperately need to watch? This is It's 2012's Maniac. Ah, Go ahead. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Dang um, it, I know. It, it is such a great film. Now, to be fair, in that movie, he does play a different character also than I'd seen him play. I guess... My problem with him is I think mainly I think Lord of the Rings, I think Frodo, when I think Elijah Wood, because that's where I remember him the most. But I also think, was he in one of the 90s, um, like, was he in Faculty or something? He, I remember him, wasn't he in The Good Son with Macaulay Culkin? I believe so. He's in Back to the Future 2. Um, he is uh, in a very small scene in Back to the Future 2 when Marty goes into the 80s cafe and there are two kids trying to play the uh, the video game that he was a crack shot at. Elijah Wood's one of the kids standing there trying to. He's like, how does this work? And then he shoots all the stuff. And one of the kids says, you have to use your hands. That's like a baby's toy. Elijah Wood is one of those kids. Um, yeah, that's, I think, his first movie. Um, he's great in Eternal Sunshine. And then I swear there was another movie that I was really familiar with him before that. I actually never sat through The Good Son. Oh, he's in The Faculty. I was right. Um, okay. Which is, that's the movie that I first, I think, encountered him because I loved that movie when I was in high school. Um, And I didn't see The Good Son because I love Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone and I could not get past him being a bad guy. So I just never could watch it. Such a creepy child. The Radio Flyer. That was the first movie I saw Elijah Wood in. Um, I only watched it once when I was a kid, but it was about the wagon, the Radio Flyer wagon. Um, And I did see Forever Young with Mel Gibson as well, but... Not realize how extensive extensive his filmography is. Yeah, he's been acting since Back to the Future 2. That was his first role, um, even though he's only in it for like 30 seconds. But um, 
this movie, I, I really enjoyed Elijah Wood. Now, that's it for big-name cast. Um, there's uh, Gary Anthony Williams, who plays Detective William Bendix, is in an episode of How I Met Your Mother. He plays the uh, house inspector when Ted Mosby buys a house um, kind of randomly, and he has to have it inspected. That's Gary Anthony Williams shows up to inspect it. Um, and then I don't really recognize anybody else, except I almost I almost forgot the um, the drug girl. Uh, where is she? Where is she? Where is she? Yeah, I recognize her, and I couldn't place her, oh, and then you, I forgot. She's in your favorite movie from 2016, Don't Breathe. She's the lead female. And that means that she was also in Evil Dead, the remake. Mm-hmm. She's Mia, I believe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, I, I didn't recognize her in this movie. Um, I, I only recognized her from her IMDb. Um, but, yeah, so that's – she's actually – the most relevant right now, I would say, of the three actors who I listed, because Don't Breathe was a huge success last summer. Um, even though I thought it was okay, you hated it. Um, both of us were very contrary to what the other people were saying about the film. Everyone loved Don't Breathe, but we didn't. So that's our cast in this movie. Now, there's um, the other main character we need to know is um, where is he at? Well, Macon Blair does show up as a cameo, which made me really <laughs> happy because um, a lot of independent directors going well. Hitchcock was not independent by any means, but going back to Hitchcock, um, a lot of our tour directors like to put themselves in their own movies. Quentin Tarantino is in every single one of his films, um, and that's actually one of the interesting things about Jordan Peele, who uh, even cited Tarantino as inspiration for his style. Um, did not put himself into uh, Get Out. He actually opted not to because he was uh, concerned with his. Uh, people recognizing him as a comedic actor messing with the tone of his film because it is not while there is some comedy it is a thriller horror film not a not a direct comedy and he didn't want people to just you know dismiss it as a uh, result um devin gray is a major character in this film um and he hasn't done a whole lot he's on american horror story as jed potter from 2012 he did an episode oh he played teenage dexter in dexter on showtime um and then uh, 13 Sins, I've never heard of. But um, he plays kind of the main antagonist of the film, although he ends up not being, but that's definitely where we start. But let's get into this movie. So um, before we talk about our reviews of things, um, I want to talk about one of the reviews I heard and then read after I watched the movie um, by Battleship Pretensions' David Bax, who I am, I would say I'm a fan of, which... I guess technically I should be a peer, but he's been doing this a lot longer than we have. He's been doing the podcast for 10 years, um, and I think they've been writing for their website for about six or seven. And um, he didn't like this movie. Um, it was the, the I mean, the Metacritic score for this film is a 75. The user score is 7.1, so it's getting well-received by everybody. And again, it won the Grand Jury Dang. Prize at Sundance. Um, David pointed out, though, that he thought the film... Um, one is for people who think they're smarter than everybody else and uh, not just think, but maybe truly 100% believe that and that it's very cynical. Uh, it has a cynical look at humanity and essentially by the end of the film says that you can only succeed in this world by being as awful as the rest of the world. Um, and that wasn't my take on the film. It wasn't my read on the film, although I can see where he's coming from, but... I, I don't agree, but I do see his point. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I don't agree at all, and I'm kind of actually having a hard time seeing that point because throughout the movie, she ends up 
going that way, you know, being the same as everyone else, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily end up getting her any further ahead. That's a true point. Um, it doesn't really help her. It doesn't propel her at all. Yeah. Well, like, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, no, not at all. Um, so this film, uh, it, well, let's, before we even get into this film anymore, let's talk about the inspiration for the style of this film, because if you've seen Blue Ruin and you've seen Green Room, um, Jeremy Saulnier has a very specific style. Uh, one, he is an awesome uh, director when it comes to practical effects. Um, the violence in his movies are always really visceral and um, I would even venture to say disturbing to look at. And they're all practical. He doesn't do CG. Uh, there's a scene in Blue Ruin where he gets shot with a an arrow and he has to cut the arrow out of his leg and it mm. is hard to watch. Um, Anton Yelchin, may he rest in peace, um, in Green Room, sticks his hand out of a door only to have it chopped up by machete, which we don't get to see. It's all done off camera, but when he pulls his arm back in, the aftermath is horrific, especially his wrist, which is barely hanging on by a tendon anymore. And um, they have to duct tape it uh, to to try to keep it from him bleeding out. And um, that's the type of violence that you get uh, in the Saulnier films. Now, I haven't seen Murder Party, but I can only imagine it's worse um, given the name of the film. But um, there's other moments of violence, too, that I'm not going into. But those are two early scenes of violence that I thought are good examples of the type of violence that you do get. And I don't feel at home in this world anymore as well. Um, I also thought the look of the film was very reminiscent of the Saulnier films as far as the lighting and the color scheme. Even the setting um, felt familiar. And... I would say uh, the overall feel of the film was the same, with one exception. This movie that is uh, has a serious topic, there is some awful violence, has a little bit of a comedic tone to the whole thing. There's a element of comedy, very small, not 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 where it's not to be taken seriously, but there's more humor in these this film than there is in Green Room or in Blue Ruin, like especially Blue Ruin is nothing funny like it is a serious serious topic the only revenge yeah very much revenge and my my goodness what a what a need um green room there's humor but it's minimal and it's usually it's mainly early on um and then it ends with a joke uh it ends with a really great joke actually um i don't want to spoil green room because we didn't give a warning for that movie but it ends with a solid joke but this film throughout there's this kind of air of um almost fantasy it feels, uh, I mean, Elijah Wood's character, everything about it. Um, when they, I guess to get into the what I mean by the tone, we'll, we'll have to get into the plot a little bit. But um, the film opens with uh, Ruth, who is played by Melanie Linsky, um, you know, going through her daily routine. So we kind of get a vibe that the people around her all suck. Like they, they're all awful people. Um, she goes to the supermarket got she gets cut in line um i'm trying to remember all, the whole opening but it's one thing after another we we get the vibe that her life is not the best and she's a cna um also and her patient is horrible yeah she's a she's spouting racist slurs um right before she dies like so she witnesses this woman die um she's reading a book that apparently is going to be a constant theme and and she's reading it at the bar and Macon Blair sits down next to her. The director sits down next to her. And they start talking. And it's really, it seems like they're flirting a little bit. And he's like, oh my god, I love that book. And then all of a sudden, he drops major spoilers at the end. And I was kind of surprised that she wasn't as pissed about that. Because that would make me mad. 
Oh, she was definitely upset, but she didn't react. She tried to be civil because that's her style. Every she's always accepting all of this crap and and trying to always be civil she's about it. She's passive. Yeah. And he even after he not only does he spoil it, but then he basically calls her dumb because he's like, "Well, you can see it coming." You know, mm-hmm. like if you didn't see it coming, it's your it's your fault that I spoiled it because it's very predictable. Um, so very a little bit pretentious, and but man, he, the, even again, he inserts himself in a way that's funny. Um, and then the last straw, basically, before she finds out that she's been robbed, is there's dog crap on her front yard, um, <laughs> and she's very upset about that. But uh, and that's where we first see Elijah Wood, although she doesn't react to it there. Um, but she goes into her house, finds out it's been, she's been robbed, and calls the cops. Now, I was robbed last summer. My house was broken into. My Xbox um, and PS4 were stolen. A bunch of games, um, magic cards, all sorts of stuff were taken from my house. And so when I read the premise of this film, a woman's robbed and then she looks to find the thieves, I have to say it hit a personal note. Um, I was very much like, oh, well, that's intriguing. Um, I'm curious. Now, I got, I wouldn't uh, encourage anyone to do the things that she does in this movie, mind you, but I do get the feeling that a person who's been robbed, particularly... My one of my favorite scenes in the movie is her. Um, you see, just you just see Ruth, and she's talking about the worst part isn't the stuff because the stuff can be replaced. It's the violation, and I think my wife and I both had quoted ourselves saying that last summer. Um, it, it you feel violated. You feel like you're because the idea of your home is it's your your safe zone, right? And somebody Definitely. forces their way into your home. You it it, viol- it you feel violated because now it's no longer safe. This was supposed to be my my getaway from the world, and it's now the world has invaded my place. It always will feel violation, and so her saying that I immediately connected with her character. I was completely in. Now the best part is when it cuts to who she's talking to, which is a little girl who is a little freaked out. <laughs> I loved it um, by her existential crisis being dumped <laughs> on this poor kid who just wanted a story before she goes to bed. Um, the look on her face. <laughs> Yeah, and then, Mom! <laughs> so it's not Ruth's it. kid, and that should be clear. Ruth is a single woman, lives alone, um, doesn't even have any pets. Uh, she just lives alone. I didn't realize that. That makes me really sad. Yeah, I don't believe there's a cat. There's definitely no dog, but I don't even believe there was a cat. Um, and so lives alone um, with nothing at her house and comes home, finds it robbed. Uh, she's not satisfied with the way the cops are handling it, which I can also relate to. And then not my art. Uh, the initial reaction when you're robbed is that good luck. You're not getting your stuff back. But I got to say the cops kicked butt and they did get our stuff back and they did find out who did it. And I guess justice was served to a degree. I don't necessarily agree with the sentencing, but um, it, I we did get our stuff back. So I can't say that our, the cops that dealt with our case didn't uh, do a great job. But initially they do. They make you feel hopeless like. Well, the odds of finding a you know thief, like we took fingerprints. Basically, they're like we we got black dust over all of your stuff, but it's not going to help us at all. So you know, oh, I hope that's no. okay. Um, but again, it, it actually worked out. Um, I got to say though, part of it was me, and uh, and then me convincing my wife, and her also being very gung ho that we knew who did it, and we were right. So our own detective skills paid off. But um, at the same time, our cops listened to us. Cops in this movie do not listen to Ruth at all. In fact, could not care less that she has evidence. Um, they're just like, nope, don't care. Um, but go ahead, please, 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 please. Oh, please. I was just gonna say, as a police officer, 
how the heck are you not going to check outside of where the people who came in came in? Like, it was right there in the backyard. And what Corey's referring to is uh, Ruth goes, uh, after feeling dissatisfied, uh, she wakes up the next morning, stands up to the, the guy walking his dog in her yard, which happens to be Tony, um, and he apologizes, uh, um, kind of. He doesn't officially apologize. Yep. I forgot what he says initially. Something like, um, I just get so lost in my head sometimes, I think. Yeah, he like sidesteps. It's like a passive apology. Um, but she she decides, she gets motivated. After she stands up to him, she's going to solve the crime despite, um, you know, the detectives kind of shrugging her off. And she starts investigating the break-in and finds a footprint in the backyard um, where there is one. She has like uh, Christmas light type things hanging on the backyard. And one of them is broken. And then there's a footprint. And so she goes old school and makes a plaster mold of it. Um, you know, she you see her go to a hardware store and buy a, the plaster of Paris and does that whole thing, like kids used to do with the hair the handprints for like Mother's Day that kind of thing. Um, and it's a very distinctive shoe. There's this weird mark on the front of the foot, and there's like a lightning bolt looking thing. So very distinctive looking shoe, which of course will pay off later on. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, that's where it pays off um, initially because we see the um, the shoe print on the plaster mold and then we it transitions to um the actual shoe on on a toilet and that's where we meet our our villain for the first time um whose name again i have forgotten um charlie what did i say it was oh my god i'm so bad with names guys christian it's christian not charlie christian we see christian uh pooping into the tank of a toilet um yeah that's called an upper decker everybody uh he he's putting an upper decker in there so that when people flush the toilet for the next several months it will smell awful um so we see him doing that we see him taking jewelry out of a jewelry box and walking back into a party only to find out that he's not invited to this party he snuck in to steal stuff um and we learn that he's a druggie he's into drugs and that's why he steals and uh yeah all around not supposed to be a very likable guy but now I don't I might have jumped ahead here because she her laptop was stolen and mm-hmm. she she tracks him down using like the uh, find my computer app but she doesn't want to go alone and the detectives won't respond to her so she's determined to go so she recruits Tony um cuz he said he would help her they they've already encountered it a couple of times um cuz when she was investigating she went door to door asking people if they saw anything and um Tony uh, agrees to go and he brings his nunchucks Actually, he doesn't bring his nunchucks. I'm sorry. He initially is going to bring his nunchucks, but then he instead brings the Morning Star, uh, which is a. If you're not familiar, it's a big metal ball, usually with spikes, hanging on a chain attached to a essentially a nunchuck, but a wooden handle. And um, that scene's hilarious. That's one go of the, big or go home. So they show up at this this uh, group of. It's we know there's four people there. We already saw them using what looked like a potato cannon, um, shooting a watermelon earlier, um, as she drove by and then freaked out. Um, but they they encounter a guy, and she says, my computer's in the house, and he's being kind of a jerk. Tony brandishes the Morning Star, and the guy goes to grab it, and by accident, Tony smashes him in the face with it. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Um, they then fo- the, he, the guy who gets hit in the face jumps in, goes into the house. They follow, and Tony throws a throwing star into the wall, which is such a weird like <laughs> entry into a room. Um, I feel like they knew though <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like i don't know 
But the people, it turns out, aren't the thieves. They bought the laptop from somewhere else, which is why when they turned it on, uh, it triggered her uh, Find My Computer app. And um, they, they, she takes the computer back. Um, they give her some information where they bought it, what, what consignment shop they went to. And then the funniest part is Tony goes to get his throwing star back. And it takes a bit of effort to get it out. And his response is, that's how hard I threw it. <laughs> I, I definitely feel like Elijah Wood was channeling Napoleon Dynamite for some of the, the lines in this movie. Because that, that particular line really <laughs> felt like, you know, but my chaps are really, or my lips are really chapped. Um, but I, okay, so we're not going to go plot by plot, um, or point plot point by plot point. We're just going to get into what we like and what we didn't. So um, I really love the characters. I did as well. Um, um, I, I also, when I think of Elijah Wood, I mostly think of him from Lord of the Rings. And I mean, that is such a span, you know, that's such a span of his career. I mean, he does have so much work before and after, but that is what I think of. But I see him take a lot of these, I don't want to say strange, but he takes a lot of roles with these characters that I don't know. They're just completely different from if you hadn't, you know. Completely different than what I thought he would take after being in Lord of the Rings. And I like seeing him in those roles, so... Yeah, well, now, Ruth, um, as... Going back to what David Back said and my point, um, why I don't agree with him, the, the, the point of view of the film definitely has some cynicism that people are awful. And I don't know if I'm just that cynical that that doesn't bother me, because I kind of often think people are awful. Um, I'm I think more, that they are too. I'm more willing to accept, though, that they're not. Like, I'm not, I don't meet a person and assume they're awful, but I am not surprised when I hear awful things, is generally how I approach it. So, because I'd love to be more like, oh no, people did awful things. Well, that's so surprising. But it's more like, oh, that person did something great. That's awesome. Still, I think more likely people are going to do bad things. Um, I So, I do have a cynical perspective. I try not to, but it, it does happen. And again, I don't. I don't apply it to everybody, but I'm never surprised when I hear these cynical, these bad things happening. I'm never shocked by it. Um, but in this movie, um, the people are definitely viewed as as bad. Like they're they're not great. They're and it's little things too. It's not big things alone. It's everything. They're just jerks. Like getting uh, people cut in front of you in a line. Now, this week I've had three instances of people just apparently me being invisible. Now I'm I'm a pretty big guy, so I know they see me. But I've had people walk right in front of me in lines at the gas station and at a Chinese food restaurant. And the Chinese food restaurant happened twice consecutively. One old lady walked in front of me. I'm like, okay, fine. And then two more walked in front of me who were not related to the first one in any way. They were just separate. And I'm like, what? How am I getting cut by old people? Like, why do they think that I don't get to go in line? And then, um. So her seeing old? her look kind of invisible where these people are just ignoring the fact that she's there. Now, she does start to turn more aggressive, but I didn't view it as her becoming a jerk. I viewed it as her standing up for herself. That is exactly how I view it. I feel like I used to be pretty passive and then I just got I was fed up and then it's like no more. And that's all that I saw this as is she reached her breaking point and yeah. But she doesn't, I don't feel like she changed her personality because she, there's a scene back at the grocery store where she cuts in front of somebody else, but mm-hmm. she turns towards them and says, sorry. And that to me is the difference. That's where I feel like we're not, she, we're, Macon Blair is not saying, because Macon Blair wrote and directed this film, um, he's not saying that we should become the jerks. 
but stand up for yourself and still have manners. And that's what I saw with her. Because um, even when she goes to get her computer back, she's pretty nice to these the people that she initially thinks are the thieves. She's not, like, she's assertive, sh- for sure. <laughs> but she's not, um, she's still polite. I think she even, like, apologizes uh, to them. Um, now, it, she gets a little worse. Um, she goes, uh, she finds out where her silver is. It's at the consignment shop. That's That was the thing she was most upset about being stolen. Um, and she tries to basically steal it back. Um, which I kind of, I wish she would have just explained to the guy, um, like that, Hey, this is my silver. It was stolen. He probably wouldn't have let her take it, but at least then I would, cause that act, her taking it without trying to talk to the, the, um, owner, I feel makes her more of a bad person and makes David Bax's point more accurate than what the point I'm trying to make, because she did try to just walk out with it. She did, and she had Tony go start the car so she yeah. could leave in a more hurried manner. And I feel like we we used to buy CDs and DVDs and things like that from people. And I know that we know, like, kind of the protocol as far as, like, if the police were to come and stuff like that. And I wondered, because I agree, I wondered if she didn't realize that that was... I don't know, a very real step she could take. But then again, the police weren't very interested anyways. True. Or... And that would have been the appropriate step. But even just talking to the guy um, yeah. and threatening him, even with the police, not necessarily like threatening, like I'm going to kick your butt, but hey, if you don't give these back, I'm going to call the cops. I can prove these are mine. And that might be the issue. Maybe she can't prove they're hers. Like it's silver. There's not going to be a serial number or anything at that. I don't think at least. To be fair, I don't own silver silverware. My silverware came from Walmart. So, um, and I'm using the word silverware probably too loosely, but uh, hers is like legitimate silver. I, it may have a serial number, but even then, maybe she didn't keep the serial number. I mean, that's a common thing people do. We forget to, to keep track of all their stuff because we never think we will be the ones who get robbed. And um, it, it's very possible uh, that those are the reasons, but it's definitely, I think it supports Bax's. Um, assessment of the film because not only does she start to leave but this is where she encounters christian for the first time she's going to leave and christian happens to be there selling more stuff because he needs money for drugs um and she sees the shoes he's got duct tape on his shoe there's a green lightning bolt on the side that matches the pattern on the sole of the shoe and she's convinced it's him and starts to follow him out but because she's following him she's not moving quick enough and the uh proprietor of the um, the consignment shop pursues her and tries to stop her, and she accidentally hits him in the face with the silverware box. It's this big wooden box, and uh, she that's where we see that she's not a horrible person because she is she feels bad. She wasn't trying to hit him in the face. Um, she turned around trying to stop him from grabbing her and caught him. His reaction is where we get the Jeremy Salonier type of violence. Uh, he grabs her hand and breaks her freaking finger. I wasn't expecting that. Nope, I was not um, either. Um, and I will say that the violence in this film goes from zero to a hundred real quick, mm-hmm. just like Sonier, Sonier. Yep. And I, it's so unexpected, so often that I'm just kind of left baffled. St- yeah, it stunned just, for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, the Christian then gets away with. Uh, now he doesn't know she was following him initially. But um, the people Christian's with um, 
who, there's a girl and a, a, a older guy. I'm going to try to look up their names while I'm talking, but they noted um, Tony with the car running, and they definitely noticed something was up. Um, and they they witnessed, I think, the events play down. So it's uh, Christian, Dez, and Killer Killer Sills. Is that his name? Yeah. No. No. Oh, I thought no. The Killer, Killer Sills is that... <laughs> Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Killer Sills is the name of the consignment. Yeah. Barn. Which is thing. weird. Um, I guess Marshall is the guy's name, uh, played by David Yao. Oh. Yep. That's... All right. So, um, Marshall and I just forgot the girl's name already. Marshall and uh, Christian and Dez are the three um, druggies who are uh, uh, they're they're kind of organizing all of this crime stuff. Um, Marshall is that his name? I'm really yes. bad with names. Marshall um, has definitely been encouraging and coaching Christian on what to steal, but they're looking for one big event not not a heist per se, but they're trying to uh, Christians from a rich family, and they're planning on robbing them, um, the rich family in order to get a bunch of money so they can buy more drugs. Simple enough plot. Um, and Ruth is just kind of pulled into this on accident. But So she wanted to see Christian. She doesn't get to. Her finger gets broken by this guy, Killer Sills. Um, I don't think she got her silverware, but... I, well, no, she did. That's right, because Tony comes to the rescue and sidekicks uh, the old man in the head. I thought he was dead. Yeah, he kicked the crap out of him. <laughs> Holy crap, and he hit the ground. Boom. Yeah, and it comes out of nowhere, but um, they grab the silverware and they get away and they, uh, they go to the doctor and all that. But um, it's funny because there's she's like, I didn't get uh, the license plate. And he's like, oh, I got the license plate. And she just looks so dumbfounded. And he's like, oh, did I not mention that? <laughs> yeah, the next day he says that. Um, but so they do a reverse lookup, which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, the reverse lookup, because he acts like he's a hacker. Like the whole scene is filmed like a hacker sequence in a movie about like a gifted hacker, but all he does is Google reverse lookups and then pays with a credit card uh, to do a reverse lookup on their license plate to get their address. And it's hilarious because it's filmed like he's doing stuff, but he's doing nothing that anybody couldn't do. Like he's not, there's no skill involved. It is literally Google reverse license plate lookup. Oh, we need a credit card to pay for this. <laughs> there it is. And asks for her credit card. Well, of course. I mean, you know. I doubt he has a credit card, to be fair. Like, um, it costs money to grow a rat tail like that. So, um, it is, uh, it's super, it's, it's such a great sequence. It's definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie because it is, it is so reminiscent of the, those type, type of hacker scenes in other movies. Um, and yet what he's doing is ridiculous. And that's what I mean. Again, that's the air of comedy that I don't think you get in the Saulnier films. Uh, there is this silliness about this plot. Even the, the stakes are relatively low. I mean, yes, she was robbed, but really she's gotten everything back at this point, yet she still wants justice. She's not done. So she's got her silver back, silverware back. She's got her computer back, but she still feels violated. So she's trying to get that settled. So with the reverse lookup, they go to Christian's house, and it's a big mansion. Um, they pretend to be cops, which is another funny scene where they buy a box of cereal to get a fake police badge. <laughs> That she's going to flash to get into the house, um, and we I, find, go ahead. I love that scene so much. It's and that's where she. Uh, I already talked about it. That's where she cuts in front of the the other customer, but says sorry while she does it. But she pays for her cereal and then is digging through the box as she walks back to the car. And it's man, it's funny. Um, 
so they go to the house. They meet the mom of Christian. It's actually, I'm sorry, it's the stepmom. Um, and uh, they find out um, that you know Christian has been gone for a while, um, and is not a good person. Um, he'd spent some time in jail. His dad is a lawyer, I think, is what we're told. Um, yeah, it must be a hotshot lawyer because one, their house is huge, but two, he has a bodyguard. Yep. And um, I'm pulling up the uh, mother's, the stepmother's name, because she looked familiar. Um, is it? Was it Jana Michelle Marino? Uh, no, no, no. That was a little no. girl. Sorry. It's uh, Christine Woods. Um, Christine Woods is the uh, the mother, the stepmother. Um, yeah, I haven't seen anything she's in, so I must not. She must just look familiar. But um, Robert Longstreet plays the father. Now it's interesting because she's she's super happy and bubbly and doesn't ask for any real identification. She just believes they're cops and starts offering them coffee, which is another funny scene. Uh, with Elijah Wood talking about his time as a barista and all the different shapes he used to put into the foam. Um, it, it's it's very funny. I mean, just the whole sequence is, is ridiculous. And again, that era comedy. can't imagine buying books or coffee from him. Yeah. Um, and uh, the father shows up, though, and immediately, like, they're not cops. And she's like, yeah, I know that. But um, I died. Yeah. <laughs> I was bored. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, and Jason Manuel Ola. Olazabal I have no idea how to say that name um, plays Caesar who is the bodyguard and he then proceeds to clear every room of the house like it's an action movie He, you just see him like you don't follow him he just pops in the frame now and then running from room to room and you hear him shouting clear clear and I'm just like I'm dying I'm like really like he's these two people on the couch like who else is supposed to be there like they're not hiding anything and Elijah Wood's coffee went flying the second they yelled um, cause they pointed a gun at him. Um, but they have a conversation about Christian and what, why they're after him. And, uh, she gets mad because he basically blows her off. Um, you know, even offered to bribe her, which I think she says, uh, that it's not about the money. She wants justice. She's looking for Christian to be punished. And, um, she steals a, uh, lawn tiger, <laughs> which is, uh, <laughs> Is it made out of wicker? It appears to be made out of wicker. It's like a wicker lawn tiger. Of course, and he also damaged some stuff. Trashes some. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that bothers Tony a lot. Uh, Tony was all for her getting her stuff back and getting the guys who stole it. But he's not okay with breaking the rules because he is a uh, Christian, we learn. Um, he takes her to church. And uh, this is something he does a lot. And he, um, before they go into that first house, there's a moment where he prays, which kind of freaked her out a little bit. Um and that's an interesting part of the film is that he is this guy with all these weapons and he's a little weird, but he goes to church. He's a churchgoer. There's, you know, he's a believer and um, he's not okay with her stealing because that's the whole point. Like we're supposed to be punishing the people not taking. And while the parents were jerks, he's not. And again, that's where I feel like Tony's character is counter to what David Bax said um, a little bit that that Tony is uh, supposed to be like the moral center while he does some things that are maybe questionable, like you know, the morning star being brought to the, the mix. He's doing everything with the intent of um, righteousness and uh, but still wanting to maintain his moral beliefs that stealing is wrong. And that's why these people deserve to be punished. We can't become them very in a way Batman esque. Right. Like, you know, um, it's not OK to kill, even if it's a killer. I didn't even think about that. But yes. So um, they leave. Um, and when she gets home. Uh, it turns out, well, before they leave, while they're leaving, 
we see Christian and Marshall and and Des, I think that's her name, um, in the van outside the house. They were ready to come and rob um, the father because the father's finally home. But now they're they're worried because why is this car with Tony and Ruth first at the consignment shop and now here they they think they're onto them or something, and so we get this really great suspenseful scene where um, Christian is in her home and we see it, but she doesn't. And she walks around the house and we see him staring out like in through the door, which is super creepy. And that scene really freaked me out. Um, And then she walks back in. She walks into her bedroom and walks back in the living room. And the way he films it is fantastic. Uh, It's mainly a single shot following her into the other room and then back out. And it pans through the room. It's just this awesome cinematography and really builds the suspense. And then he confronts her. And then shocking yeah. things happen. Yes. Um, again, totally unexpected. What happens? I, she takes that darn imprint, right, of the foot, of his own shoe. And I don't even know how to describe this. She, like, hits him in the throat with it. She swings it like like a morning star. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's in a bag. It's mm-hmm. in a, That's right. It's in, like, a plastic grocery bag because the police officer was not interested in it. So she, like, hits him in the throat and... You watch him like stagger through her house and into, and the, <laughs> into the front on, yard. Yeah, and they're just watching in the van, Des and Marshall. And he walks out into the road. He obviously can't breathe, and he's hit by a bus. Hello, Mean Girls. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so ridiculous. Like it's it's violent, it's brutal, but again, it's done with an air of comedy, and that's what I keep going back to. Is there's this sense of silliness about these things, like. Um, even how he gets hit in the throat and then like staggers out into the yard, like he's freaked out, he's afraid, but he just he doesn't walk towards the van. He just starts walking, like he just has to get away, and then he gets hit by a bus as a result. Which again, it's brutal, it's crazy, but there's an air of humor to it because the bus comes out of nowhere, like it's like a comedy. Um, and she didn't like she didn't mean to kill him, but he scared her, and she reacted because. She doesn't know what he's going to do. She doesn't know why is he in her house? Why is he followed her? Why is he come back again? Yeah. Yeah. Like, if if it's not, you know, again, it's all weird circumstances. It's, it's very, you know, well written how it all plays out. Um, I think, I mean, well written enough. Uh, she, again, um, I man, I'm just forgetting names left and right today. But the actress uh, whose name is Melanie Linsky, Melanie Linsky does a terrific job throughout the film. I really enjoyed her a lot. And um you know, that moment is crazy, but then she gets taken by Marshall and um, Dez, and they're going to make her uh, help them rob because they needed three people. So early in the film, they they got some guns that are real jank and, like, busted up, rusted, nasty guns, um, and we see them getting ready to go into uh, Christian's family's home, and um, they get in, and this is where the violence really escalates. Uh, things go nuts very mm, lots lots of blood yeah. um well they oh go ahead oh no the um they they get in uh the stepmother and caesar are there um and they're able to point the guns at caesar so he doesn't have a weapon um he has to get rid of his weapon and um the dad's asleep christian's dad's asleep so they've got they have her the the stepmom call him down and he's suspicious because he sees Christian's van, um, which now Marshall and Des are driving because Christian's dead. Um, and so he's suspicious and asks, like, you know, what's going on? But so he doesn't come empty handed. He comes down the stairs with a gun in his hand 
and gets his hand blown off by a the sawed-off shotgun that Dez is sporting. Why does everything keep happening to their hands? Yeah. Um, but it gets, I mean, maybe it's an easy uh, prosthetic to do or something. Um, oh, word. Because it, it blows up and it is graphic. Like, you see it shatter and sp- the blood spray and then him holding his arm, freaking out. Um, the stepmom is, of course, freaking out. And Caesar uh, has not been shot yet, I don't think, but he does get shot in this moment. Um, and Ruth is trying to, like, indemnify herself. Like, hey, I'm, I'm innocent. They're they're holding me hostage. Don't it's, I don't want to do this. They're making me. Um, and they're there for a safe. There's a safe in the fireplace that is supposed to have a bunch of money. Um, and they go looking, and there's no money in the safe. Um, and so the the dude's about to uh, kill. Wait, has Ruth already puked? I no, I think that that happens with the hand, yeah, doesn't w- it? Yeah, when she shoots um, the hand, Des shoots uh, the dad's hand off, and Ruth starts puking, like pitch perfect one puking type, like just so much vomit. I, yeah, I don't know if the human stomach can actually hold that much but but it's again an air of comedy in a very serious scene because ruth is instantly like projectile vomiting all over the floor so much so that uh, marshall does get mad at her and tells her to stop it and she still throws up a little more because she's just so freaked out um and then caesar's dead and uh they're about to kill the dad and ruth tries to talk sense into them that there's no reason there's no reason um to kill these people and it's at that point that um, Tony shows up to save the day. Uh, Tony hits Dez in the face with the throwing star, which is brutal, by the way. Um, it hits her in the in the side of the jaw, and uh, Ruth, or not Ruth, Dez goes to shoot him with the shotgun, and it blows up in her hand, um, taking out her hand. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember how Ruth ends up with Marshall. Like th- she ends up fighting Marshall over th- for the gun. Well, and also where Des got the knife to doesn't Des stab? Yeah, she had a switchblade. They showed the switchblade in the van. Um, she held it up at Ruth to That's make right. Ruth do it. So she pulls out the switchblade and stabs him several times before she falls. Um, and while Ruth and Marshall are fighting over the gun, he starts shooting off in the air. A bullet ricochets and hits Des in the head. So Marshall kills Des. Um, so again, a little bit comedic, right? Like that's not. Like, ricochet bullets are real, don't get me wrong, but in the the events that are happening, we just watched her brutally stab Tony, like, four or five times in the stomach, like, real rapid, like, stab, 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 Um, and then a bullet hits her in the head to stop her from uh, fully killing Tony, because she was going for the kill, and so he's rescued by luck. Um, Ruth gets the gun away, hits uh, Marshall in the face, slams him in the knee, grabs Tony, and then a chase will now ensue. Her her and Tony are trying to get away, and Marshall is on the hunt. Um, I think the dad has already been killed at this point, and the stepmom has run out. She's running for her life and looks to be safe, and she ends up being safe. But now we have a really intense, long chase sequence where not only do you have the tension from him, Marshall, pursuing and the hope that Ruth can get away, but also is Tony going to die before she can get away? Because he's been stabbed several times, he's bleeding out, um, he's clearly losing consciousness, and so there's a lot of tension. Will Will Tony survive? Will Ruth get away? Um, will Marshall get taken out? Like, what's going to happen? And this scene, a there's kind of a synthy um, 
song playing and I thought that it was so perfect. I loved it so much. Um, and it reminded me of Green Room because they have that kind of cha- that like scene where they're getting away in the woods also. Oh, uh, yeah, true. Um, so although this, I think, is more there's more of a chase element than in Green Room In Green Room. They're using the woods, but they're OK. Once they're in the woods, they're already they're on the hunt at that point here. Um, she is being hunted by Marshall. Um, she gets a, a rowboat. She can't get there's a boat with a motor and a rowboat. She can't get the motor to start, partly because of her broken finger. Um, and so she gets in the rowboat, rows across the, the lake or river, I'm not really sure. Um, and sure enough, Marshall finds the boat and is able to get the, the motor to start. So now he's going to catch up to them much faster. We see a, a giant snake that I don't know. I don't know enough about snakes to know what type it is, but it does look poisonous. Um, and she manages to avoid it. It doesn't come after her. Marshall does not have that luck, and that's how Marshall ends up getting killed, is a snake bite. Um, We then are greeted with the finale. We see Ruth kind of going back through her normal routine now that her justice has been served. Um, We find out that the cop has, uh, he was getting a divorce. That looks like that's not going to happen, so good for the cop. Um, We see her go to church uh, by herself, and the last shot, the last sequence is her at a barbecue with her friend who we met earlier in the movie, whose daughter she was talking to. And it sounds like Tony's dead. And there's that scene that looks like a halo mm-hmm. kind of behind him. Yep. Um, we see her kind of clearly. It's I think it's supposed to be her memory of Tony, like seeing him as an angel. Um, but then it's not. Uh, they, they totally pulled a 180 on us. They made us think he was dead, especially because she went to the church without Tony, um, the, t- the church that Tony brought her to. And so it makes us think um, that he's gone. But then we see that it's not a uh, angelic light behind him. It's just the sunset, and he's grilling burgers with um, her friend's husband, and being obnoxious. That's the one time he's being obnoxious because he's he's ruining he's ruining the burgers. He's smashing Let's the burgers down, and the guy's like, "No, no, no, what it is. you want to keep the juice?" He's like, "No, no, trust me, it'll be perfect." <laughs> it's, no, it's, it again ends that comedic tone that uh, M- Macon Blair has pushed throughout this film. So despite some graphic violence and. Um, you know, a some very tenseful moments, there's a sense of humor, which is what I think makes this movie so enjoyable, um, is that while it is serious, there is an air of humor. And that's, I, again, I don't feel like it's taking itself too seriously, um, which I think David Vax's argument that it's uh, overly cynical and a movie for people, it's a movie that people who think they're smarter than everyone else will enjoy. I don't think that's... I never felt that way, um, and I'm not going to lie. I, I do have moments of where I, I feel superior. Not always. Most of the time, those moments come in very small doses, and it's usually when I'm watching people be dumb, when people are doing things that I'm just like, why would anybody do that? Why? Yeah. Um, but in general, I don't just like, hmm, you know, I'm not. Yeah. I don't. That's why I don't understand why what made him say that, I guess. Well, I mean... I, I am I am a fan of David Bax and Tyler Smith from Battleship Pretension, but the word pretension is in their podcast name. They are pretentious, and I don't think they would be insulted at me saying that. Um, now, pretentious generally refers to their movie preferences. That doesn't necessarily reflect their day-to-day lives, and maybe that's what this movie isn't. It, it's, it's maybe so um, uh, reachable or accessible to a general audience that maybe this movie doesn't do it for them. Uh, to be fair, Tyler has not seen it, nor has he given an opinion on it. Um, so if you're a fan of that podcast and us, or if you now listen to that podcast, because I talk about them all the time, 
um, because I think they're a great tool of learning about a lot of different films, and they they have some really great topics of discussion. It doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything they say, and I don't with this one. I don't think this is what this movie is. Um, you know, they, a lot of times I do agree with David on films. There's some that we do uh, do not agree on, and this is one of them. I don't think this film is overly cynical. I do think it's cynical. Don't I'm in no way saying there's not cynicism in this film. They definitely have a negative look at humanity, um, and I don't think it's ever redeemed necessarily. Um, you know, everybody that we encounter essentially is punished because even Ruth is punished. Her finger's broken, um, but she was being punished before she started acting like everybody else. Uh, you know, she was robbed. People were treating her like crap. She started standing up for herself, and then there were still consequences. Her finger got broken. She almost died. Um, she was kidnapped. You know, things happened. Uh, so ultimately, you could say the message of the film is no matter what you do, you're going to have, you know, problems. And you could you could exaggerate that and say no matter what you do, life is going to suck. But I don't think that's what Macon Blair is saying because there's an air of comedy about the film. There's a lightheartedness to this otherwise serious and again extremely violent in small doses but when the violence happens and that's actually true with green room and blue ruin it's not non-stop violence but when the violence happens it is big and extreme and will leave an impression on you for sure um it is not for the weak at heart or the weak stomach uh you will see some brutal violence and not evil dead the original blood levels but still enough fake blood uh to make your stomach queasy if you don't like that kind of stuff but I don't feel like this movie has anything too negative. So, Corey, is there anything I've missed that you want to talk about with this film? No. No. Uh, she is overly talkative tonight, folks. I <laughs> well, I feel like I've said everything that I have to say. I am excited to see. I hope that he does write and direct more because I liked this film and I'd like to see where he goes with his work. Mm. Um, I tried Googling that song <laughs> oh. in the movie. Um, the one where they go to the house with the laptop, uh-huh. because I was genuinely interested. I was like, what the heck is this? Mm. Um, I was like, this must be a fake song. I could have never find it. But at the end, end of the film, they're playing, I don't feel at home in this world anymore, yeah. which is a real song, yep. you know? So I would, I'm just interested in the soundtrack altogether. Yeah. I don't think it would be one that I could listen to on its own, but I definitely felt like it added a lot to the movie i um oh, i'd ahead. like to do a little research into that song the i don't feel at home in this world anymore to see if the, there's a reason um obviously i would say that's the inspiration for the name of this film so i'd like to know what the song is like about or what it was written for um to see if maybe maybe that adds to david's argument or goes against his argument um depending on what that song was originally written for like if it was a song with like you know propagating people getting rid of people because that's when I heard, I actually heard his comment about the film before knowing what the film was about. So I expected this to be like God Bless America, which is a um, Bobcat Goldthwait um, film where a dude finds out he has cancer and has gotten sick of the world. It's very, it's without a question, a much more cynical film. And he goes and starts killing people that he has deemed not worthy of living anymore. And that's God Bless America. And in the process, the first person he targets is a like, um, like the uh, My Sweet Sixteen TV show on MTV, where the bratty kids have like the super sweet sixteen parties, and they're awful, even though they're having these amazing parties. Um, he targets a girl from one of those shows and goes to her high school. Doesn't mean to do it the way he does it, but shoots her in the parking lot. 
and one of her uh like one of the kids that she's like bullied sees it and joins him that movie is cynical uh as he goes and kills people that are they're they're maybe annoying or or rude or disrespectful but they haven't done anything particularly wrong like they're not guilty of a crime and they go off killing people like that. Like, there's a character that's clearly supposed to be like a Justin Bieber type pop star character that he goes after, and and they uh, they take over. I don't want to spoil that movie either, but that's essentially that film is them going around and killing these people that a lot of Americans find annoying or obnoxious, but again, not technically guilty of any crimes, and they're killing them. And that's the movie. It's celebrating that unnecessary violence. That's a cynical film. This movie, the. Um, Ruth never really looks to do any violence. Um, she wants justice for a crime that was done to her, and she does go seeking it, but she never goes looking to kill. And that's when I had first heard about it being cynical and like messed up. I assumed that's what was going to happen. That she goes on like a killing spree. Like she takes, I've been robbed. That gives me the right to now kill the people who took from me, which is not what this movie is. Um, people die. But from Ruth's standpoint, it's always an accident. And even uh, Tony, his only actual act of violence that he does on purpose is to rescue Ruth. He throws the throwing star into Dez's face. But You're right. Because mm-hmm, the morning star to that dude's face was an accident. The guy tried to stop him because he was a big tough guy and he sees this little scrawny guy with a rat tail, thinks, I can grab this. And by grabbing it, he doesn't realize that there's the tension is what swings the morning star into his face. And then Tony walks in the house and throws the throwing star into a wall that is completely away from everybody. He doesn't throw it at the wall that they're near. He throws it to the wall to the left of them. So he never acts out in violence until it's time to save Ruth. And Ruth never acts out in violence. She actually throws up when violence happens. So it's not this overly, like, violence is acceptable type movie. Violence happens, but it happens by the, the bad people and in defense of the bad people. Like, they're trying to prevent more. Even when Ruth hits... Um, Christian in the throat she's being defensive this guy's in her house she doesn't know what he's going to do and he is kind of he's even asking her like why are you at my dad's or something like that yes and, I was um, going to say the way he comes at her ugh. yeah and so there's never a moment where I like fault them for their actions Um, and I don't feel like she she turns into a bad person by the end of the film and you know um yeah, I think I think that's all I have to say about the movie. Um, it is on Netflix. We were going to give our reviews at this point, unless I have cut Corey off of anything. No. Okay. I am good. What is your take on this movie then, Corey? What rating do you give this? Um, again, our rating system is a little different. We do uh, the worst rating we give is Avoid Like the Plague, which is our equivalent of like a one-star rating um, or even technically a zero-star rating. Zero. And um, must see being a film that we think everybody should see, what we love. We have a full rubric online if you want to understand our rating system a little more. Um, but we also have, uh, so it goes Avoid Like the Plague, um, Not a Total Waste of Time, Decent Watch, Not Quite Golden Pony Boy, and Must See. That is our five-scale system. Corey, what do you give? Uh, I don't feel like, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Geez, making Blair, why would you do that to me? But I, I still love you, Um I feel like now the challenge is to find a movie with an even longer title. Um, <laughs> so I always have a really hard time with this because I'm going to give it must-watch film. Okay. Um, I went one below you. I did not quite golden. Um, I don't I don't think it's a, a film that everyone needs to see. It's fun. I had a good time watching it. 
Um, I laughed a lot more than I expected because, I, again, I felt going in. And, again, I'm still reminded of Green Room and Blue Ruin um, with the style of this film. I definitely think Megan Blair uh, paid attention while he made the three films with Jeremy Saulnier that um, he's definitely taken some of his style, but with his own take, which is the comedic element that I don't see um, I don't see uh, in Saulnier's films. Saulnier's films are very serious. Blair, while, again, there's a serious element to it, there's definitely a um, a goofiness about it. So um, with that, Corey gives it the must-see. I say not quite golden. It's definitely a great film either way. Um, the big difference there is that I don't think it's a, it's something you need to watch. But if you are interested in the premise of what we've discussed, if you uh, have seen Green Room or Blue Ruin, this is definitely a film that's in the same vein. Not, not exact, but there. And we do recommend it. It is available on Netflix. Um, again, if you like our podcast, please share it with your friends. Post it to your social media. Um, tell people they need to listen or else. Um, tweet at Macon Blair. Tell him that we recommended the film for you if you watch it. And give him your thoughts. Um, you know, Preferably if they're positive. But, you know, constructive criticism is probably welcome, I imagine. Same thing with us. If, if we're doing something that you like, if we're doing something that you don't, we'd love to hear from you. Next week, this is where I always fail with this podcast. I keep forgetting to plan ahead. And look at what we're watching next week before I get to this point. Um, I'm going to look that up right now. But we will be uh, back next week with another movie. And what we like to do is we encourage you to watch the film ahead of time and tweet at us or email us your thoughts with the chance that they will be discussed on the podcast. We'd like to not just share our thoughts, but share what other people thought about the film. Um, We will read your Twitter. Oh, man, I just really had a speech problem there we will read your um twitter handle or whatever name you want us to read with your review and we would love to hear from you so you can reach me at burke reviews and you can reach Corey at Corey r star two r's on the end and um currently um our plan for next week i you know i might throw a curveball hold on a second i'm looking at our list of movies that we have that we all want to watch or that Corey and i both want to watch uh the one stipulation is we try to make it either a movie that neither of us have seen or at least one of us hasn't seen, or a movie that we've only seen once, and maybe it's been a long time. Um, so currently, have you seen the movie that's on the list? Are you looking at the list? I am. I have not seen that movie. I would be interested in your curveball. Uh, well, I don't know that I have one uh, ready, per se. Um, I just There's a lot of movies um, that I haven't seen that I'm constantly uh, eyeballing and wanting to uh, to watch. Um, I think though, I've been putting watching that movie off, so I think we go with this one. Is that if you're okay with it? Yes, sounds good to me. All right, so we're gonna watch. Uh, if if you want to participate with the movie club for, for next week's episode, we need to hear from you by uh, Friday, March 10th. We're watching District Nine, the Neil Blumkamp movie. If I'm not mistaken, that's how you say the dude's name. Um, it is a sci-fi film. It's the only one of his movies that is well regarded. He did uh, District Nine, got a lot of praise. So he did Elysium with Matt Damon that got kind of hated on, and then the notoriously awful Chappie um, with the the uh, South South African group Diane Wood playing Diane Wood. Um, it, is, it is an atrocity of film from what I've seen of it. Uh, I cannot sit through it, nor will I, uh, Chappie. But I hear District 9's great. Um, he apparently started really strong and has just fallen down into a M. Night Shyamalan-type travesty of, of bad films. Um, granted, M. Night Shyamalan is on his way back up, so maybe Neil Blomkamp can do the same. But um, we will be watching District 9 next week. So if you uh, want to watch it with us and share your reviews, even if you've seen it before and you want to just share your thoughts on the film, 
Um, we will read them on the podcast next week. So again, please look us up. Um, you can read our reviews and find our podcast at BerkReviews.com. That's B-E-R-K-R-E-V-I-E-W-S.com. Um, we also do a top five movie podcast. We would love for you to check that out as well um, as part of the Burke Reviews podcast. Um, our top five this past week was top five uh, buddy comedies. And next week, the episode will be releasing in the middle of the week. It will be our top five Samuel Jackson performances um, in honor of Kong Skull Island. So if you don't want to miss out on that, make sure you subscribe or follow us. Uh, thank you for the support. Corey, you have a good evening. Thank you. You too. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Peace. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BerkReviews.com. <laughs>